I got to confess to you, I'm a little intimidated to preach this message to you because this, this passage that we're going to look at is really pretty challenging. And I don't mean challenging like confrontational, like, like you're going to feel challenged, quite the opposite. That This passage of scripture is very encouraging. Like this is a hope-filled passage of scripture. You are going to leave, uh, leave here feeling so much better than the way you came in. Now, the reason that this passage is challenging is because it's a prophetic vision. And there have been long debates about what exactly this passage of scripture means. In fact, I read one theologian, um, his commentary on this uh, in just in preparation for this message. And he says, out of all the passages in the Bible, this is the passage that he understands the least. I read another uh, commentary that said this about this particular passage. It said, hey, it literally said this, don't worry if you have a hard time understanding what this means. Take comfort in the fact that even the ancient rabbis did too. So with that in mind, I'm going to uh, take my best crack at it today. And uh, we're going to have some fun as we look at a passage of scripture in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47, if you want to find your way there. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you don't know much about the Bible, Ezekiel is what's referred to as a major prophetic book in the Old Testament. All that means is the books of the Bible have different categorizations and classifications. And the books that are called prophetic books, which are just the ones that, that means they were written by someone God chose to speak on his behalf. Those are prophetic books. Of those prophetic books, this one is larger than most of them. That's why it's called a major prophetic book. And Ezekiel has 48 chapters. In it, there are six visions that Ezekiel records. And where we're going to look today is really midstream or even maybe towards the end of his final vision. It's really towards the end of the book. And where I want to start is in verse 1 and read through verse 6. So if you found your way there, you can um, be blessed in knowing you know how to find Ezekiel. Otherwise, put the words on the screen. It says this, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. So Ezekiel has this vision. There's this angelic figure with him. He brought him back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the front of the temple faced east, and the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gateway that faces east, and there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. And again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my knees. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through. Has God brought anybody through something today? Has God brought you through? Are you guys awake out there? I'm going to, you know, I haven't done this because of COVID. I'm about to come in the aisles today and just stand in your face. I might breathe on you. You guys are blessed to be at home today. <laughs> brought me through. The water came up to my waist. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross for. The water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, son of man, have you seen this? And then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. 
So in this vision, Ezekiel sees a stream that turns into a mighty river, and with him is this angelic host, this angelic guy who has a measuring rod in his hand. And I want to use this passage for our final installment of Test the Water to talk to you today about desperate measures. Desperate measures. That's the title of my sermon, if you're taking notes. And the people that love Jesus take notes. And those of you who don't, I'll give an altar call at the end of this message. Hey, I love you. It's always my custom to pray. I got to uh, pray before I get into this and make sure I don't say anything that's inappropriate. So would you bow your head with me? And uh, maybe I've already offended you, and we'll ask God for forgiveness together. Will we pray? God, thank you so much for your word, for your truth, and I'm thankful, God, to be here today. I'm thankful to be in your church. I'm thankful, God, for what you do in your house. I'm thankful for the people that came and uh, for people who say, I, I want to grow. I, I want to learn. I want God to move in my life. I want God's help today. So, God, I ask that you would answer that prayer. God, move in our life. God, take us to the places that you want to take us. God, do something in us today. Use me today. I believe you will, and I thank you for it. And everybody who agrees with that can say in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, have you ever had a perfectly good day ruined by something maybe small? Have you ever had a good day gone bad? Let's just see your hands again. How many of you happened this morning already? Some, somebody ate your maple bacon donut, turned a good day bad. Uh, I've, I've had these days. I, I think we've, we've all had these days. Um, mine, the one I'm thinking of, though, actually happened a few years ago. Uh, I'm still dealing with the emotional wounds from it. Um, but it was, it was one of those days where it was a good day gone bad. And uh, I got to kind of set this up for you because I was home uh, with two of her kids by myself. My wife was out gallivanting around doing whatever she does, probably a target run. I think, you know, supposedly uh, she was like on a field trip with Oliver. But uh, again, it's not about me taking care of the kids. It's about the Lord. So um, I, I was at home. I was taking care of the kids. And uh, on this particular day, because she had to leave early, um, I'd, I'd actually been gone earlier in the week. And because she had the kids by herself, I had, uh, out of the genero generosity of my spirit, I had moved my car over to the side. It was at her old house. So she could easily um, back out the car and get the kids in and do all this kind of stuff. Well, uh, I had gone, it was about this time, we had had a great day. I got to confess, I was crushing it this day. Like, we, we had watched Beauty and the Beast, we had played ninjas, you know, you got to like look good and you got to know how to defend yourself. And so we had done all this with, with Pippa and Grant, and it, this time Grant was in kindergarten, I was getting ready to take him to school, had a great day. And so I go out to put the car seats in the car, and um, I noticed that, uh, first of all, the car wouldn't start. I had an automatic start on my car, it wouldn't start, so I'm like, okay, well, and you're like, I get it. That's why your day was bad. No, that, that's not it. I, it's probably just, you know, like sometimes the automatic one doesn't work, so I had to get in. Well, when I went to go get in the car, I noticed that my wife had moved my car over like three more feet. Apparently, the ample space that I had given her to back the car out and go in was not enough for her. So she decides to move my car over, and in going to start the car, I had noticed that she had moved it over so much that the car was now on the lawn. And you might think, I get, that's what sets your day off. No, see, if you think that, I can tell you've never been to church here, because I don't care about my lawn. <laughs> that's not, the, that's not, that was not the issue. Um, no, the issue was 
that they had just mowed my grass and I had new shoes on. And I've got this thing about like walking in grass in nice shoes. I just don't do it. It had ruined my day. That's what I'm trying to say. And some of you are like, what do you mean they mowed your grass? Okay, like I had somebody else do it. All right, I just take pity on my neighbors. But what I'm trying to say is that whether you're like me, it's easy sometimes for us to complain about our conditions and situations and, and things that happen. But as easy as it is for us to do that, I'm not sure I would be standing in this room if I had to go through what Ezekiel went through. Ezekiel, he's in a desperate situation. Ezekiel was a priest who had been living in Jerusalem the first time that Babylon had raided Jerusalem. And I say the first time because Babylon would go on to do it many times. But the first time they did it, they didn't destroy Jerusalem. They simply went in, raided the city, and took many people as prisoners. Ezekiel was one of these prisoners. And so uh, when we find him in Ezekiel chapter 1, he has been living in Babylon for five years now. And on his 30th birthday, he has this vision. God appears to him, calls him to be a prophet, and warn the people for their idolatry and for their sin. And what's interesting about Ezekiel's prophecies is that they all come in pictures. <laughs> he, always, he sees all these visions, and he records them and writes them down. And visual aids aren't anything new. Uh, you know, sometimes a demonstration is more powerful than an explanation. And so that's what Ezekiel does. He, he demonstrates uh, lots of times when he's not just recording his visions, he would actually act it out, act out these prophecies. And it's, it's so crazy. You can um, read through it for yourself. It's not going to make a lot of sense, but you can read through it. And he does all these different things. Like there's this one time uh, where he ties himself up in ropes and it's this picture that, uh, you know, Israel is going to be in bondage for a while. There, there's this other time where he shaves his head, and then he takes the hair, and he scatters some of it. He burns some of it in the fire, and then he takes some and chops it up with the sword to illustrate the fact that not only is Israel going to be removed from the land, but some people are going to be scattered, some people are going to be punished, some people are going to be destroyed. All these different things that he does, uh, there's this one time where he takes two sticks, he ties them together, he writes on the sticks, and one is Israel, one is Judah, then he breaks the sticks that he ties together, he throws Israel into the fire, then he picks up the stick and is like, Israel, this is what you're like, like you're worthless, like you're not even good for fuel, just all this different stuff. Probably the most crazy one he does, though, is he lays on his side for an entire year and eats food that's cooked on feces. As this a way to say, this is true, you can read, as this way to say, like, Israel, you're about to get your just desserts. You're not going to like what you got. So crazy, all this stuff that happens. And that's what we see going on here. He always talked in pictures and illustrated this stuff. And even, um, even when he would just give a prophecy, he'd do it using parables. He'd do it using allegories. He would do it in these descriptive words. That's what's happening in Ezekiel 47. And that's what makes it so hard to understand. He, he sees this vision, he writes it down, and it gives this very vivid picture. And like I said, the, the meaning of this vision has been hotly debated for centuries. And a lot of people, they, they have different opinions on it. Some people say that, you know, it's a literal vision because he has a vision of the temple, and the temple's going to be rebuilt, or it is rebuilt. Some people say it's a symbolic vision, has nothing to do with that. And 
Some people say that it's already happened. Some people say that it's going to happen. And all these debates about what this vision means. And what I want to tell you today is I'm not here to really explain to you whether the vision is literal or symbolic or whether it's, uh, you know, fulfilled or future. But I will give you a very simple explanation so we can move on. This vision is both literal and symbolic. And it's both future and fulfilled. It's literal because the temple has been rebuilt. Israel did return to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's rebuilt. The nation of Israel's there. It's fulfilled. And it's literal. But it's also symbolic. It's also symbolic because it was speaking about what God would do through Jesus. It talks about the temple. It talks about the gate. It, it talks about the altar. How Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the door. No man gets to the Father except through me. He, he said that my body's a temple. In fact, they, they tried to, uh, he, he caused an uprising when he said, I will destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. They thought he was talking about the actual temple, like planning anarchy or, or terrorism. He was talking about his body. And he laid his life on the altar. And, and when, they, when they pierced his side and blood and water gushed from him giving his life for you and for me, I'm just saying, it's, it's all those things. But my, my goal today is not to give you information on why this is literal. And my goal today is not to give you an explanation on what all the symbolism means. No, what I want to do today is, with the help of the Spirit of God, bring some application from this passage to the places in your life where you need it most. And the first thing that I want to point out to you is this, is that the big things that God wants to do start small. The big things that God wants to do start small. I'm almost embarrassed to say this to you because I feel like I have said this to you in some form or fashion every week of this series, and I guess that's because some of you have not got it yet. But the big things that God wants to do in your life start small. The big things that God has in store for you start as a small thing. This vision ends with a flood, but it started with a trickle. And Ezekiel, in his wildest imagination, with all these dreams, and we know he had one, he first saw the water running out of the temple, but he never envisioned that it would turn into this raging river that he wouldn't even be able to cross. I'm just telling you, to him, it looked small. To him, it looked small. And in your life, the big things that God wants to do start small. The next big thing is a small thing. It's a small thing. See, it's not the big things that we need to learn how to handle. It's the small things. It's the day-to-day. -day. It's, the, it's the mediocre. It's the mundane. We need to learn to be faithful in the small things. Excellence is nurtured in mediocre moments. I just think about how, you know, lots of times we think faith is this big thing, but it's in the small things. Man, how, how, it's, it's in how you manage trans transitions. It's in, it's in how you honor God with things that seem insignificant to you. I mean, how can you have faith in God's word if you don't even keep yours? It's in the small things. It's in the small things. So what caught my attention is that Ezekiel noticed this little thing, but what you have to keep in mind is that when he has this vision, the temple has been destroyed. 
temple was a big thing. This would have been devastating. When the temple was destroyed, all of their hopes, all of their dreams, everything that they thought was meaningful was destroyed with it. See, the temple was a physical representation of God's power. It was a physical reminder of God's presence. It was a physical reminder of their covenant relationship with God. And with the temple being destroyed, well, their hopes were destroyed with it. That their sense of purpose was destroyed with it. Now, understand, they had long turned their back on God. They weren't serving God. They were in idolatry. They weren't honoring God. They weren't heeding the voice of God any more than the Babylonians were. But there's something about a symbol that's being torn down that's caused them to doubt. Like, man, if I can't trust God's temple to stand, maybe I can't trust his promises either. If God didn't bother to save his temple, well, then why would God bother to save me out of my situation, the place that I'm in? So when Ezekiel has this vision in a time when the temple was destroyed and he sees a temple that's rebuilt, you would think that he'd want to focus on the temple. You would think that would be the thing that would capture his attention, but it's not. Ezekiel's not impressed by the temple. He's intrigued by the trickle. He sees this trickle, and he begins to focus on it. And that's because the big things in your life will start small. Sometimes I meet people, and they're like, man, when you started this church, man, you must have had big vision. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, yeah, kind of, but not, not really. I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you this church started with a maybe. This church started with, I, I think God is in this. This church started with, uh, uh, let's see what happens. Aren't you so proud to be part of a church with a pastor full of faith? <laughs> I think God is in Let's see what happens. I was, last week I was in Florida. I was preaching at a church, and then I did a leader's night there. And um, I was doing some Q&A afterwards, and the, one of the people in the group said, Hey, how did you know that you were called to start a church? I d- didn't, honestly. I mean, when, when I felt called, I didn't know that. I was going to start a church. I didn't even know that I was going to be a pastor. I didn't even want to be a pastor. Nobody's going to come back after this. <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> so, so here, I, I was in France. I was studying there. I was, um, my time was coming to an end. I was thinking about the next things that I was going to do with my life, what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. Um, but I was praying. I was, I was reading my Bible, not even necessarily like asking God to show me what to do because I thought I had it made up. I wanted to, uh, my my plan for my life was I was going to go into business. I thought I'd go get my degree in marketing. I was always interested in marketing, maybe make some commercials, stuff like that. And I wanted to start a business. I wanted to make lots of money. And I was going to write big checks for missionaries. That was not completely self-serving. That was like my my goal. Because I grew up on the mission field. We really struggled. So I wanted to like just underwrite missionaries for the year. That was what I wanted to do. And I was seeking God 
I was reading my Bible, and I just, in this moment, it's like God asked me to lay down my ambitions. Just lay down my ambitions. I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew it meant that I wasn't supposed to do what I thought I was going to do. So, I mean, the next thing I did is I went to this school that had a focus on ministry. It's the only school I knew at the time. You know, Google was not quite as big a thing back then, so I didn't know a lot of places. And I went to this school. I didn't even study to be a pastor. Now some of you guys are really questioning this right now. I did not study to be a pastor. Uh, like I said, I thought I would maybe do missions. I remember um, I served in the kids' ministry at the church I was part of. I didn't serve in the kids' ministry because I felt called to it. You know why I served in the kids' ministry? Because the pastor got up one day and he said, hey, um, we need some help in the kids' ministry. And in particular, uh, I want some guys to serve in the kids' ministry because we don't have enough guy uh, role models serving in the kids' ministry. So I need some guys to go serve in the kids' ministry. And it wasn't like a word from God. It's just the pastor said, do it. And I already knew that I was supposed to lay down my ambition, so I just went and served in the kids' ministry. I did it for two years, every Sunday. I never missed a Sunday. I'm just polishing my halo here. But I'm just telling you that I did that, and then I met a missionary and heard him speak, and he had an office in, in the city that I was living in. And again, I thought I was going to do missions, so I just started. I was going to school. I was working a job, and then I was volunteering with him and the hours I had during the week. I was, nothing, I was stuffing envelopes. That's what I did, stuffing envelopes because he would do mail letters, and that's how I helped him. And all this stuff, what I'm trying to say is <laughs> it started with a trickle. I didn't know that I was going to be here doing this back then. No, I just, it started with a trickle. Don't get tricked by the trickle. It might look small to you, but God can do big things with small starts. You know, we're talking about test the waters. The truth is... God tests you with small things. He tests you with small things. Maybe that bothers your theology. Well, let me take you to Scripture because Jesus said this in Luke 16.10. He says, whoever can be trusted with small things can also be trusted with big things. Whoever's dishonest in little things will be dishonest in big things too. Small things are a test. That's why the next big thing is a small thing. And what I'm trying to help you see is that you got to measure things differently. That's what I'm talking about. You have to measure things differently, especially if you're in a difficult situation. In fact, what I would tell you is if you're facing hardship, if you came in here feeling hopeless, if you're watching online right now and you feel desperate, let me tell you this. Desperate times call for different measures. Desperate times call for different measures. Maybe you, you haven't heard it that way. Maybe you've heard desperate times call for desperate measures. No, 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 no. You got it wrong. Desperate times call for different measures. You see, Ezekiel wrote a time, wrote at a time when he would have felt like all hope was lost. He, he wrote this as a captive alongside with 10,000 other captives. And you see, when Ezekiel's first taken captive, Jerusalem's still standing, but now he's been there. He's been there for 22 years. And at this point, he's seen things progressively get worse. Starts out going from bad to worse. Because it seemed 
as if the promises that God gave them were no good. They were supposed to be living in the promised land. And at one point they were. They were supposed to be prospering. And at one point they were. They were supposed to be a mighty nation. And at one point they were. But now, because they turned their back on God, because they rebelled against God, God allowed them to experience the fruit of their decisions. And everything is different now. Now understand, they were free to do what they wanted still. They were refugees. So they could still run a business. They could still go to school. They could even worship if they wanted to. But there was no Jerusalem. There was no temple. Many of their friends and loved ones and family had died, been destroyed, were slaves. And with Jerusalem being destroyed, with the temple being destroyed, their hope was destroyed. Their dreams were destroyed. It was a desperate situation. So Ezekiel, he sees this river, and he has this vision. But it wasn't the transformation from this trickle to a torrent that caught my attention. Because it says, what, what caught my attention is how Ezekiel responded. Because it says that this angelic guide showed him the water and then took him further. And this is a picture of faith, by the way. Faith will always take you further. Faith always says, I am not content to stay here. I'm not satisfied just to sit in the seat. I, I, I'm not content to stay put. Faith says there is more to discover. Faith says there is more to explore. Faith says there is another mountain to take. So it says faith that God has more for you. That's what faith is. And so what this angel does, he, he measures which is really another way of saying test, because whenever you test something, you're measuring it. So he tests the water. He measures the water, and he brings Ezekiel along. Let me read it to you. It says, when the man went out to the east, talking about the angel, with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits and brought me through the waters. The water came up to my ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through. The water came up to my waist, to my knees. I missed that one, but then to my waist. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, son of man, have you seen this? He brought me back to the bank and returned me to the bank of the river. So I need some help illustrating this. Oliver, can you help me out? Can you grab that? Measuring stick for me. Come on. Let's go. All right. Let's hustle. Got to get through this message. Fortunately, I have one of these in my hand. So this angel brings Ezekiel. You're going to be Ezekiel. I'm going to be the angel. Just remember, I'm God to you. Okay. You need to obey my word, do what I say. All right. So th this angel, he has a measuring rod in his hand, some, some kind of divine measurement. We don't really know what it is. It's divine measurement. I have a, a yardstick, but for him, it was this span, this line that measured 1,000 cubits. 
And he would lay it down like this. This will be our altar. You just stay there for now. I'll bring you around later. He'd lay it down, measure a thousand cubits. He would take a span, and then he would bring, you can come with me, he would bring Ezekiel through. He would lay it down, measure a span. Come on, bring Ezekiel through. He would lay it down four times now he did this and bring Ezekiel through. And each time, what I noticed is that, you can just stay there for a minute. Each time, I, what I noticed is that the angel is measuring one way, but Ezekiel is measuring a different way. The angel was measuring distance. Ezekiel was measuring depth. Let's try this again. Let's, let's illustrate this. I, I need to show Get over here. This is the altar. The water's coming out of the altar. You're Ezekiel. I'm the angel. Going to measure 1,000 cubits. Okay. The angel measured distance. Ezekiel comes through. Depth. Oh, it's up to the ankles. Okay. The angel measures distance. He measures some progress. Ezekiel. Up to the knees. He measures the proportions. The angel, he measures how far. Ezekiel's measuring, oh, it's up to my waist, how high. The angel is measuring with a divine measurement. Ezekiel says it's a desperate measurement. Stay there. Desperate measurement. And let me show you something. Here's the application. I told you you're going to be encouraged today. You've got to stop trying to measure up and start looking at how far you've come. Some of you are using desperate measures. This is why you're so discouraged. God's bringing you through something No, not good enough. No, not good enough. You know, human measurement is always going to be in conflict with heaven's mission. Every time you try to measure, the the way you measure your life is not the way God measures your life. You're always so concerned with, do I measure up? God says, Look at how far you've come. We always measure this way. Don't believe me? Look at the first time that Israel chose its first king. Who did they call? Saul. Somebody say, better call Saul. They call Saul. Saul was tall. And when Samuel goes to anoint the next king and sees David, what does God say to him? Hey, don't consider his height. Don't consider his appearance because I don't see things the way you see them. And see, what what I wanted to do today was to break the spirit where you're measuring the wrong things at the wrong level. To, To break the spirit of using desperate measures to... Break the spirit, thinking this 
is how I'm measuring my life. You can go sit down, Oliver. You need to use a different measurement, a different measurement, because you got a picture. You got a picture of what it would have been like for Ezekiel to know that in this moment, they are reaping the rewards of their behavior, reaping the results. For 490 years, God was sending prophets to instruct and to guide the Israelites. For 490 years, he said things like, dwell in the land, prosper there, keep my word, obey me, do what I've commanded, put me first, put me to the test, remember the Sabbath day, keep it, but they didn't, they didn't, they rejected it for 490 years, if you do that long enough, eventually the bill comes due, so now I get it. Now I get why Ezekiel, he was always trying to measure up. Because from his mindset, they would never measure up. Which meant that even though he was a priest, he could never approach the temple. But see, this vision of the river flowing out of the temple is a picture that God's spirit and God's presence flows to you. Flows to you. It's not waiting. Here's, here's the thing. Don't buy into the lie that you only deserve a relationship with God when you're doing good spiritually. God's spirit comes to you. His presence comes to you. And I, I got to help you understand something about water. Because, see, water always represents the presence and spirit of God in Scripture. Very first thing in Genesis the first thing the Spirit of God moved on was water. So it's fascinating that in this text, this river flows through in a city that as influential and significant as Jerusalem was, does not have any river in it. River is necessary to sustain life. There's no mighty river in Jerusalem, but what there is, what this vision is, is a picture of God's Spirit coming to you. Let me show you what happens. So we read on. Verse 7 says, when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees. He's on the bank. He's looking on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Let me skip to verse 12. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their water will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So the place he's talking about is called the Dead Sea. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Lake Gennesaret being the lowest freshwater lake in the world. The Dead Sea is the lowest place in the world. It's the lowest point, 13,000 feet below sea level. I've been there before. It, when you go there, it's a barren wasteland. There's all this salt. The, the lake is 25% salt. Nothing grows there. 
It's mud and salt for as far as you can see. But in this vision, when God's presence comes to a wasteland, when the river of God's spirit comes to the places that you consider garbage, to the places that don't measure up, to the places that you consider this is no good, to the places that you would leave out, to the places that you want to forget, to the places that, that you've left behind, to those places when God's spirit comes to those places. He brings healing to what's hurting. When the spirit of God comes to those places, he brings provision where there's lack. When the, when the spirit of God comes to those places, he brings fruit to a place that is barren. When he comes to those places, he brings hope to desperate situations. And he brings life to something that you consider dead. I don't know what you came in here with today, what you're feeling, what you're dealing with, but the spirit of God wants to encourage you. And maybe the place where you need encouragement, maybe the place where you need to make a change is to trust Jesus with your life. To say, God, I'm not going to live this way anymore. You can have a relationship with God today. It's not by your good works. It's not by how good you do. It's by what he did through his son Jesus on the cross. Would you pray with me?